So, hello and welcome to the School of Surgery podcast. Um, today we're doing managing diabetes on a surgical ward. Uh, so, my name's Naomi Lasker, I'm an F1 at Royal Army Hospital, and I'm joined today with uh, Dr. Stanworth. Um, he's one of the consultants in diabetes and endocrinology. Um, so, the, the key objectives uh, will be learning about the surgical emergencies, um, on, well, the diabetic emergencies, such as DKA, um, and uh, learning about how diabetes should be managed on the surgical ward, essentially. So, uh, Dr. Stanworth, why do you think it's important that surgeons know how to deal with diabetes? Uh, well, um, I think firstly to just um, emphasise that uh, diabetes is an important subject for anyone dealing with hospital inpatients. Um, there's a lot of work now recognising that um, blood sugar control for patients in hospital is a real challenge and that um, in all hospitals, for instance, there is a very significant rate of hypoglycemia mm. um, which uh, relates to the changes in someone's daily activities in hospital compared to when they're at home so they don't have free access to food and maybe they in the, maybe the way they do at home mm. um, and there are various other aspects as well so particularly with surgery I mean thinking directly about surgical complications and wound healing if you've got poor glycemic control for a patient heading into an operation uh, and indeed out of an operation then that may indeed impair their recovery um, but as I say it is broader than that and um, if you've got a patient who's been through an operation or who has a significant stress response from either infection or an acute mm. abdomen or whatever then their blood sugars are likely to be greatly affected by that. Finally they may be nil by mouth, nil by mouth either just before or after the operation or they might have absorption problems after certain types of GI surgery mm. and again that's going to cause problems with blood sugars um, and um, not to mention uh, you know again I think we mentioned in the other talk about metformin and, um, and yeah. scans and again you just need that general knowledge of, of what what treatments are safe at what point in time so really it's just the concept that blood sugars are affected by everything that happens to a patient and mm. surgery is a pretty extreme example so you're ma you're managing an extreme <laughs> situation how exactly do the blood sugars change during surgery then well there are the two there's the two um it's unpredictable is the, is the short yeah. answer uh, and that's because of the diametrically opposite effects that could potentially take hold so on the one hand um we'll all be used to seeing patients with diabetes arrive in hospital with very high blood sugars um having come in unwell and that's largely mediated by the effects of adrenaline and cortisol in acute illness mm. counteracting the effects of insulin um and and decompensating the situation um but on the other hand, as I say, you know, um, the patient's nil by mouth after the, uh, before the operation, maybe even after the operation, and indeed may not eat as well after the operation. And, and if you give them their normal treatments, they could have a, you know, a life-threatening hypoglycemia episode uh, very, very quickly. So it just, um, it, it is unpredictable, but the main thing is to recognise that that's the potential and then put measures in place to make the situation safe. Mm. Is this why they tend to go first on operating lists then? Yeah, I mean, um, with with that, I mean, um, it, it does. It is complicated for patients with diabetes uh, not to eat uh, if they're on um, treatments that will potentially cause a hypoglycemia without uh, them eating. Um, so it's out of respect for that. Um, it, putting it the other way around, if you've got a patient who certainly with with, with type one diabetes, you're always going to need to give intravenous insulin around the time of the operation but with mm. type 2 diabetes if you've got a well-controlled patient and it's going to be a relatively short period of nil by mouth uh, around the time of surgery then you may well be able to not be putting up intravenous sliding scale infusions you may well be able to manage that quite straightforwardly but not if they're last in, 
in an yeah. all-day list. You know, they're, they're going to struggle by that stage. Um, whereas if they're first on the list, it might really facilitate quite a straightforward um, operative spell for them. Yeah. You mentioned um, intravenous um, insulin there. When when should I be starting this if I was one of the surgical F1s? Um, well, again, I think the important thing is to recognise uh, 100% and be clear on whether you're dealing with a type 1 case uh, mm. or type 2 uh, case of diabetes. Um, most patients will know that information, but it is worth going back over it and just checking that the characteristics of their diabetes including you know how they presented and, and uh, what initially happened to them fits with that um, and again if, if you um, in the same way that if you fail to diagnose a type 1 patient um, and then they come to harm because they get diabetic mm. ketoacidosis if you're managing them in hospital and in particular in the perioperative period and they're type 1 and you don't realize it mm. then you're going to you're going to come a cropper and, and you're going to put them at risk so it's important to uh, split the two groups there with type 1 um, they're going to need intravenous insulin around the time of surgery mm-hmm. with with uh, and that's just a, a, a t- as, as given really as soon as they're nil their mouth you can yeah. you can start that uh, with type 2 you will often need it particularly in unstable patients and particularly if they're going to have prolonged surgery or be nil by mouth afterwards but if they go into the operation with um, uh, a relatively stable blood sugar uh, mm. you may be able to um, amend their diabetes treatments alongside making them nil by mouth and forego the need for IV insulin. Most hospitals will have local policies which yeah. describe the patients who can be managed that way. So how exactly would I go about starting this sliding scale? Most hospitals will have a, a standard prescription that links in the uh, blood sugar of a patient at a given moment in time yeah. and the infusion rate for the insulin. Uh, Is that called a variable rate? That's good. The, 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 yeah, the, the right. proper the proper term. Um, we, we like to change names <laughs> in medicine, don't we? So yeah. sliding scale has been used for a long time as the as the um, the phrase of choice, but mm-hmm. the actual um, approved phrase now really is, is variable rate insulin infusion, right. um, and that that means the same thing, but is but is what we should be using now. How is that different from a fixed rate then? Well, fixed rate insulin um, ref- refers to a situation where you're giving the same amount of insulin uh, to a patient hour after hour based on a body weight. Right. And the only real use of that, um, or the only appropriate use of that, is in the management of acute diabetic complications such as diabetic ketoacidosis. Okay. So I know that, I've, well, I've, I've heard that for variable rates and fixed rates, you need to prescribe different fluids. Is Is normal... 0.9% saline okay for this or should I be using something different? Well the key thing, it, it, when you start a, a, an intravenous insulin infusion um, you may be starting it for a very unstable patient who has a very high blood sugar and it may temporarily be okay to be giving um, that insulin without a sugar containing fluid mm-hmm. uh, but as soon as the blood sugar comes down and you know cutoffs vary but we're talking down below 14 on our local protocols mm. then the patient needs sugar-containing fluid. And if that's with a variable rate insulin infusion, then typically that sugar-containing fluid would either be 5% dextrose or dextrose saline. Dextrose saline has 4% dextrose, so it's not that dissimilar to 5% dextrose in that sense. Um, If you're using a fixed rate, the principles are the same, but because you're giving, even when the blood sugar comes down, you'll still be giving quite a high rate of IV insulin. Mm. Uh, So you do need to give more sugar um, and you quite often give higher concentrations such as 10 or 20 percent glucose or dextrose alongside that uh, uh, fixed rate infusion of insulin. So for fixed rate insulin, I would use 
insulin as well as 10% glucose you say? 10% is our local policy here yes okay. and um, again you you you're actually giving um, it is essentially giving quite a lot of sugar but because yeah. you're giving giving quite a lot of insulin and that is the thing about that situation is that you should only be in that situation if you're treating diabetic ketoacidosis or right. something similar and um, all hospitals will have very detailed protocols yeah. that outline all the steps of management that are necessary because there's a lot of monitoring from a nursing and a medical point of view mm. that goes alongside those treatments to make that particular way of treating patients safe. Thank you for listening to another podcast brought to you by School of Surgery. Remember you can follow us on Facebook at School of Surgery, on iTunes, on Podomatic at schoolofsurgery.podomatic.com and finally by searching School of Surgery on YouTube. Thank you very much and see you next time.